Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 30 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe, and also sponsored this week by Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com has a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including... Beginning an intermediate bluegrass mandolin with Sharon Gilchrist, bluegrass mandolin jam favorites and the advancing mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe style mandolin with Mike Compton, melodic mandolin tunes with John Reichman, chord melody mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish mandolin with last week's guest Marla Fibish, and theory for mandolin and fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high quality multi angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. You can join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. MANDOLINBEER. Hope everybody had a wonderful week. I am currently packing my stuff up and getting ready to head a little bit north of here to record an album with a couple of my buddies and a new project that I'll announce the name of here shortly once we get everything all in place. And uh, we're recording it with Alan Bybee at Allen's studio, and the amazing Gina Furtado is going to be playing banjo on it as well. If you haven't checked Gina out, she's incredible, and she's got a new album out that's just, it's amazing. So check out Gina's stuff, and of course, Alan, just a legend, so it's an honor to be heading up there slightly nervous. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to thank the uh, new patrons that joined up this week. Thank you so much. Um, again, the uh, Patreon site's got two levels for 4 bucks a month. You can just support the podcast, or for 8 bucks a month, I have videos and tab that I put up uh, each week, and i um, doing different things that are talked about for 10-minute-a-day ideas to work on. Um, this week's was a really, really cool one that I really love using. It was taking the minor pentatonic scale and the major pentatonic scale. So, for instance, uh, if you're playing C major, the major pentatonic scale would be C, the relative minor is A minor, and you can link those two um, scales together because they're all the same notes and kind of open the neck up a little bit for you. So put that out there. And this week's uh, Patreon video is going to be a little bit on ear training um, that we talk about on this episode with Caleb. Uh, so that's going to be a pretty fun one to do as well. And it really, really should help your playing. So anyway, thank you so much. Again, you don't even have to go to Patreon if you don't like. The best thing you can do to support this podcast is free. And that's just subscribe, maybe leave a review. Uh, tell your friends about it, share it on social media, follow me on Facebook at Mandolins and Beer and Instagram at Mandolins and Beer. And you can always go to mandolinsandbeer.com and get some swag. Got shirts, hats, stickers, koozies. And uh, let's get into this interview here with Caleb. Caleb was amazing, and be sure to check out his band. You can check out a bunch of his tunes too on the Mandolins and Beer podcast, Spotify playlist. Cheers, everybody. And now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Caleb Clowder. Caleb, how you doing? I'm doing great, sitting in the sunshine right now. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how is the, do you get a lot of sunshine out there? Oh, not not in the winter, not these months. So this morning is special. I'm on the back porch and uh, it's shining through the trees. But yeah, it's been a pretty rainy and gray winter. Our summers are pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. In Portland. Yeah. yeah. How long have you been in Portland? You've, have you lived there all your life? No, I have not lived here all my life. I've been in town about 26 years. Wow. Uh, I grew up in Washington State, up on Orcas Island, and ended up going to college at Oregon State University in Corvallis. Oh, cool. Oregon. Yeah, and then transferred up to a smaller school in Portland, and that, that got me here. 
and then I have stayed ever since. Kind of just dove into the music scene here, and a lot of really cool events led me to to the people that I know and the music I've been making in town. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Well, let's we'll get into some of those events here coming up. One of the one of the things I want to thank you for is um, taking the time to do the podcast. Um, you just got done with doing a house camp, and you're getting ready to leave to go on tour today. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you know what? You, um, you. Ever since I've started this podcast, I probably get one email a week saying, "I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but he would be a great guest." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah." So, all right. Well, thanks, folks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, what? and you are one of the rarities. I can probably, I, I remember the first time I've heard certain albums in my life, uh, uh, mandolin albums in particular. And I can remember the first time I heard Nickel Creek. I remember the first time I heard Sam Bush. And I remember the first time I heard Foghorn String Band. Mm. I had just bought I had just bought a mandolin and I had gone to Elderly Instruments in, in Lansing, Michigan. Yep. And uh, I was in there just looking at all these music books and the CD that was playing. I was like, what is this? This is this is fun. This is great. What is this? And I go wow. up and the guy's like, ah, oh, it's Foghorn String Band. It was your first album. And wow. Yeah, I remember oh, it like man. it was yesterday, man. Wow, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's not many not many players I could say that, you know, and uh, that's one that sticks out in my mind for sure. Fun. Did you buy a mandolin that day? Um, I had one at that point already, actually. I was just, okay. that was like, it had been my first trip just looking at like instructional books and um okay right you know right. and of course i probably bought five of them and cracked them open maybe once you know at it <laughs> just like, right right <laughs> spent a yeah. bunch of money i didn't use sure yeah your ears are pretty powerful tools yeah you just listen, listening to stuff you know and picking it up exactly it's it's invaluable <clears throat> yeah right so you're telling me a little bit about this um this camp that you were at and you and you do some camps and um mm -hmm. you want to talk a little bit about this one that you just got back from yeah, it was just a really intimate and unique, unique experience. Um, they just call it house camp. It's in a small little out of the way town in Oregon at a house. This woman's been hosting it, I think, for 10 years. And there were probably about 40 people in total, like including the instructors and the, and the participants. And just really neat, um, kind of a light schedule so that there was, direction and as far as classes and the classes weren't you didn't really know what you were teaching until the morning when you woke up and had coffee <clears throat> there'd be a list on the wall of your class your location and the subject matter <clears throat> so it was pretty neat on the fly allowing the the instructors to kind of be pretty organic with it mm -hmm. um as opposed to some camps that want to know everything you're doing like nine months ahead of time. Oh, geez. Literally, like, want to know exactly what you're going to be teaching nine months ahead of time so that people can sign up specifically for those classes. This is, like, the opposite of that. This is, like, come, hang out, be in the presence of musicians that might inspire you <clears throat> in one way or another and watch them play together and, and play with them in a really intimate setting. So there's 
a ton of knee to knee music being made with people that you, I hadn't met instructors. I hadn't met before students. I had never met before and all levels of playing from, from like, Oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm, I'm playing with other people right now to like people who are like, you know, been on stage, uh, uh, you know, a thousand times and great players. So really fun to see the, that interaction and that connection and, and also a really wide range of ages. Probably the youngest was like 12 or even maybe like, I would say she maybe was nine and the oldest was maybe 60, late sixties to 70 so years old. So all those ranges of ages. And yeah, I just found it to be really, really bonding experience, really close experience and really, really um, safe. A lot of people were really scared to perform in front of people or share. And, and, and it was, you know, it was a, it was a, a fiddle, a bluegrassy old timey uh, you know sort of centric camp but there was definitely some piano and some songwriting and some uh you know more singer songwriter stuff as well it wasn't just a fiddle camp for example per se or a mandolin camp so that was kind of neat too to, to for me to get inspired by other folks doing different different kinds of songwriting and different kinds of singing that's, so yeah that's awesome yeah really a neat, a neat thing how many camps do you usually do a year Oh, I don't, I don't do too many personally. I, I, maybe I, maybe five a year at the top, you know, um, I, I've been going to fiddle tunes for the past long while now and kind of making that a tradition. Fiddle tunes is in Port Townsend. It's the festival of American fiddle tunes. Um, in the last couple of years, I got invited to teach the Monroe mandolin camp. Oh yeah. Which is out. Yeah. And I, I won't be teaching there again, probably for a little while. They rotate a lot. And then uh, also the last couple of years, I've been teaching at the Puget Sound Guitar Workshop, which is in Puget Sound or out in the Puget Sound in, North, in Washington State. Mm -hmm. And there's another great camp up in Canada, up in B.C. called Nimble Fingers that we've oh, taught at. Yeah. 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 So and you don't do all those every year. Fiddle Tunes maybe is the only one I've done a bunch of years in a row or been a part of. And that one, maybe I'll have different roles, either a teacher or a tutor or even just kind of a facilitator hands-on for you know being there as an extra musician or one-off classes or one-off lessons here and there <clears throat> so different roles and all that stuff which I, I enjoy that yeah so not a, not a ton of camps you know we're, we're traveling and performing quite a bit as well so um i know some people that maybe just do camps all summer long and uh, i like to try to balance it out a little bit more with <clears throat> the camps are neat though because you're in one place you know for a while you get to kind of burrow in and 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 see a lot of people and there's a little more time for connecting and you know every day when you're traveling you're sort of like hi bye hi bye hi bye oh, yeah exactly you know, right for sure and and you have a lot but you have a lot of projects too uh you you know you've got the, the country band you've got foghorn yeah and, and you, you do the yeah. duo as well with with reeb wilms yeah 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 and every now and then every now and then there's a project with joel savoir or jesse leger doing cajun country stuff oh that's right the, the that cajun country project as well yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah so i can see yeah five camps is probably plenty for you <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> who are yeah. you uh who are you headed out on the road with tonight uh reeb wilms and i are heading out as a duo cool we're going down to eugene and then on down into california for a few dates and then kind of back north through nevada and up through oregon again back home cool. it'll be about 10 days so nice yeah so what, right. uh, what got you into the mandolin oh man wow um kind of a cool little 
little pocket events that happened. I was going to school in Corvallis, Oregon, sort of fumbling through college and not, not getting what I needed and not getting any direction. And I switched schools. I wanted to do music and uh, switched schools to a small little, little university in Portland called Merrill Hurst University and had really small music classes, like five or six students in my class. And so <clears throat> for me, it was a really good setting to be able to focus and get some good attention and get, get right into the music. Um, and that was a neat, neat little program. I was just learning some theory and some ear training and some piano. My main instrument at that point was guitar mm-hmm. and, um, uh, back up back at home where I grew up, uh, there was a, a fellow who sells tone woods to luthiers. So mandolin builders, violin builders, guitar builders, and a really cool guy, musician that I grew up admiring in my community. And he had found a piece, this is a random little thing, but I'm going to bring it back around. He had found a piece of wood that was under this old, old house on the island that was like this old, amazing piece of oak that somehow got stashed even when they built the house and like fell under there. Somehow they found this piece of wood and it was like going to make an amazing like violin back, you know, for some builder. So as, as a temporary loan to the person who he got the wood from, he like gave him a mandolin that he had gotten from this fellow who's a builder and uh the guy didn't play mandolin so he kind of like gave it to his son to hang on to and his son was my best one of my best friends so i was up visiting my buddy and he has his mandolin and we're like wow this thing's cool whoa what is this thing you know <laughs> and you know i maybe kind of had seen a mandolin but didn't know much about him and i was playing guitar and since i had a pick in my hand and strings and frets i was like intrigued by the thing and plunked around on it but didn't know any of its tuning or whatever and then went right back to school in oregon and like that next semester they were like okay you need to take an elective instrument here's your choices of your electives and literally one of the choices was fiddle not violin but fiddle and i was like god that sounds awesome (laughs) i always wanted to play the fiddle like my stepmom had played the fiddle when i was younger it just seemed like one of these things that I, i never had access to even though my stepmom played it but i was intrigued by it so i signed up for fiddle and i went to this gentleman's house in portland who taught fiddle at his house in his back little studio and he just taught old-time fiddle tunes orally and i was like this is brilliant this is exactly what i'm curious about in music you know traditional music what that you learn by ear and stuff so i started learning a few fiddle tunes and then i'd go back home and visit family and visit my buddy again that mandolin he still had that mandolin and it was like, oh, the violin and the mandolin are tuned the same. Oh, now I can actually play that thing a little bit. So I started playing the mandolin and plunking on it, you know? Yeah. Long story short, I go back to my school again, and like, there's an instrument, handmade instrument show hosted at the school from local Northwest builders. And the guy who had built that mandolin lives in Portland and came to this show and was showcasing his violins and guitars and, and mandolins. And uh, I went and met him and talked to him. It turns out he was the same guy who made that mandolin that I had run into. So it was all coming around, right? And I, wow. there was like this little showcase at our school of like his instruments. So there's like these three musicians that were playing them up on this little stage just to like, so you could hear them. And these guys were playing old time bluegrass and old time fiddle tunes. And I sat in the audience and just was like completely floored. <laughs> it was like a perfect time in my life. I was 22 years old and just like hungry for music and something a little different than what I was doing. Yeah you know, that didn't have a lot of direction before that. And these guys were playing these tunes and I, and I just 
I was amazed by like the smallness of the instrument and like no amps and just how much power there was. And, and like the tunes were old traditional tunes they were saying. And I was just, what is this? And I was kind of learning the fiddle and it just like completely engulfed me. And I, and I, and I ran out and bought a mandolin the next day <laughs> and, you know, just, and then I, then I went and met this builder. You know, I met him that day and I went and kind of started kind of connecting more with this builder. And I eventually got one of his mandolins and I now have one, that I play and I've been playing it forever. His name is John Sullivan. So I, so I play a Sullivan mandolin and I also, also have one of his fiddles fiddles that he made. And um, so that's, <laughs> that's how I fell into it. That it's like, is awesome. Kind of, kind of a crazy little story, you know, and, yeah. and it just became like this, this little best friend, you know, that is so neat. Did yeah. you, um, where's that, where's that um, a mandolin that your buddy had? A good story. So it went back to the friend who was loaning it temporarily, and then Mm -hmm. that person sold it to a friend in Canada. I've tried to track that down and tried to tried to kind of find that person, but I haven't made the connection yet. So last I heard, which was like 15 years ago, it got sold to a friend up in BC. Huh. So I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it again and like just put my fingers on it and like find that memory of like when i first touched it you know yeah <laughs> like wow mandolin what is this thing and it was an f5 you know it was a cool cool man early one he, the, this 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 particular friend says that john as a builder got much better and that that one wasn't a great mandolin but to me it has a significant you know yeah history it's got some, and story. Some magic in it yeah absolutely i'd, I'd love that play it or maybe even buy it. You know, I don't know if it's for sale, but gosh, right, that'd be right. cool. Oh, you never know, man. You this know? is how I get a, I got a lot of listeners in Canada, but man, if you had somebody's out there, get in touch with Caleb, right. if that mandolin's there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You would have, they would have gotten it from Bruce Harvey. Bruce, Bruce Harvey was the fellow who, uh, the Tonewood distributor from Orcas Island. So oh, yeah. yeah, man, well, I hope this works Bruce, out. That'd be amazing. Bruce has been a great inspiration to me most of my life. He, he helped record the album that Rib, that Reeb and I made, uh, it's a duo, duo CD. It's the two of us. The album's called "Oh, Do You Remember." Bruce recorded all that stuff at his studio at Marcus. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah. Oh, that's so, cool. Cool stuff. So. Yeah, no doubt. So then did yeah. you start taking mandolin lessons or did you just kind of kind no. of start finding your way? Yeah, I was playing taking fiddle lessons. So I was learning tunes on the mandol- on the fiddle mm-hmm. and right away playing them on the fiddle on the mandolin trying to, you know trying to trans- transfer them over. Right. And then and then um, that that same fiddle teacher kind of was like you should go to Weezer and Weezer's this um, town in Idaho where they have the national old time fiddle championships. <clears throat> and so I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll go. So I got in a car with a buddy and we drove to Weezer, Idaho, six and a half hours away and went to the national old time fiddle championships. And I was just like, Whoa, what is this? And it was like this crazy campground sea of people just playing acoustic music, anything from like contest fiddle tunes to old western swing and like old time fiddle music and irish music and bluegrass all just camped out in this area and i was like what the heck is this <laughs> i've never experienced anything like that in my life and you know so that that was a pretty 
life-changing experience and and through that experience and then coming back home into portland and being like there's this is going on that 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 has a continuum in portland little jams and and things so i started going to jams bluegrass jams the the mandolin builder john sullivan was telling me where to go and <clears throat> i found a couple people that were my age that were playing either bluegrass or old time music turned out that more people were kind of playing old time so i just fell in with buddies that were my age and we started playing music. And and I ended up in a situation where there were some pretty good fiddlers in the old time music scene because it was more fiddle centric, mm-hmm. mandolin, you know, and not really any mandolin players. So I, but we were all buddies. So I just kind of, I was instantly a little bit more natural on the mandolin because of intonation and bowing on the violin being really challenging. And I was a beginner, right? So I was kind of quicker at the at the mandolin as far as making it sound good. Mm-hmm. So I quickly just kind of jumped in and like started playing mandolin with people that were playing fiddle and banjo and, and started learning old time stuff and old time tunes and started learning just kind of being part of the, the vibe of it. And, and all the while kind of like dabbling in bluegrass on the side, listening to a lot of Bill Monroe and Stanley Brothers and right. Jimmy Martin and all that stuff and trying to kind of noodle on that at home and figure that stuff out, but really actively playing old time music out and about and just kind of fell in with a bunch of folks and have been in different bands. There's a band called Pig Iron that we were in before Foghorn. And that I really kind of cut my teeth with those guys. And we were it was kind of a fun band. We were playing old time music and writing songs. So writing new songs and tunes and playing kind of a combination. There was sort of three songwriters in that group. So it was, that was kind of a neat thing. So I, yeah I just started I just kind of dove in. I didn't really take any lessons. I took one lesson and I just I couldn't, it didn't, it didn't really click for me. So I just like listened and listened and just worked hard and just figured stuff out and watched, watched fiddle players and tried to play like fiddle players. And there's a few mandolin players that I go here and I just kind of watch them play. And I just listened a lot and was like, I want to make that sound. How do I make that sound? And what's, what's going on? And looked at, you know, it, it, that was a point before YouTube was really, big you know you couldn't just go look at a video of every song in the world <laughs> right you know i had to go out and like and like watch guys play in town there was one guy in particular in town named greg clark who was you know a generation you know like my parents generation older than me and just a phenomenal player that really stood out to me and his his like timing and his fluidness really captured my attention and i started kind of not hanging out with him much i never really mentored with him mm-hmm. but i listened a lot to his stuff and his recordings and he eventually one time gave me a recording of 50 mandolin tunes just recorded by him in his kitchen oh wow just just solo mandolin so it was like this encyclopedia of mandolin playing holy that cow I, that i've i've cherished as like my little bible you know of mandolin yeah for years now for probably 20 years you know 18 years listen to that stuff that is so awesome that was an amazing gift that that he gave he gave it to a few people that i think he he felt comfortable sharing it with what are some of the tunes on there that really uh that really got you going oh there's so many there's a a few that he wrote one like called the scots irish um there's a couple tunes like old-time tunes called magpie
he would play things like, um, um, I don't know if he played Jerusalem Bridge or if he played, he played some old time tunes that Bill Monroe would play. Um, he played some Jethro Byrne stuff. I never really quite got into the more jazzy, really ornate stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but I love listening to it. Sure. Um, there's a tune called Apple Blossom that he plays just beautifully. Another tune called Falls of Richmond that I just totally love. There's, I mean, there's 50 tunes. Yeah, there. yeah, that's there's so like, what a cool just, thing. Yeah, it's one of those things that I constantly go back to, and I'm like digging up more things, and and even like digging up ideas, and then I write a tune, and I'll learn one of his tunes, and then it'll it'll spur some some kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's like in a, in a certain key, your hand falls in a certain way, and the notes fall in a certain way, and then I, as I'm noodling and practicing, I'll be in that place on the mandolin and come up with another tune yeah so that's that's kind of been a a really neat inspiration that way like you said the oral the oral tradition of of music and learning it that way so great yeah in general in my life i've I've had mostly that kind of experience learning i had like i said a little window of time in school for two years doing like book book learning Mm -hmm. and like you know ear training but ear training was always part of that so that ear training is just so powerful it allows you so much freedom yeah in the long run it's like challenging at first to hear it exactly right or hear what's going on music's elusive you know you can hear something and and think you hear this but you go back and listen to it again and you actually made up part of it yeah yeah what right when you were listening to it yeah absolutely and you didn't actually hear it (laughs) you heard part of it and you finished it yourself which is really kind of neat that you get to like be part of the creator of whatever you're hearing. But it's also really fun to also go in and like do really practice, really critical listening, probably really good for our society in general <laughs> to work on critical <laughs> listening yeah. so we can understand each other better. Yeah. But, oh, you know, sure. more fully. <laughs> but, um, but I find that to be really, a really fun thing. Cause then, then you get this critical listening thing where you're, where you're hearing, stuff you didn't hear the first time through and you're and you're um hearing it in different ways and and absorbing it fully and it also gives you this freedom to like hear it and then process it really quickly i feel like and put it back out mm-hmm. you know through your fingers like you said hear a lick and maybe change it a tiny bit from your other experiences and add something to it and it becomes what you can do it all had depends on your ability as well you know? sure what your physical abilities are and your mechanical abilities are. Right, right. What are some like ear training tips like you could give if somebody's not familiar with what ear training is and, you know, as, as going through school and maybe not the schooled version, obviously, because you have years of that, but some, yeah. some tips you would give somebody to to work on their ear training at home? Um, I guess one, one of the first things, I mean, this is going to sound basic, but it's maybe overlooked sometimes. It's just like listening to listening to the melody for one thing and like hearing it going up or hearing it going down mm-hmm. and like really quickly is, is the melody, where's, where's the melody going? 
and and then and then beyond that really quickly like uh, as you're playing your instrument listening to a melody and trying to find the note that the melody starts on quickly like where is that note you know so for example on the mandolin if you're playing a g chord you know your kind of basic bluegrass g chord down there in home position you probably all know how to play that g chord you know it's it's got some notes in it it's got a d a g a b and another g mm-hmm. right away and there's there's basically your one three and five and so most most melodies almost all of them are going to start on one of those three notes and you've you're playing one of those three notes already so like which one of those notes does the melody start on find it right away right you're training like boom it's right there on the d note the fifth cool and does it go up from there or does it go down from there and so then you know then uh, this is something I just was kind of talking about and thinking about at this house camp was like when someone looks at you to take a solo and you're like, ah, what do I do? You know, like right away, you should have already found that it starts on the fifth and it goes up from there. So start there and Hey, you're so much closer than like just shooting for a note somewhere in G. Right. You might've practiced a G scale. So you're like, I'll oh, hit a note in G, but you don't even start on the right note. So right away, your harmony concept or your melody concept is off because mm-hmm. you started on a different note than what the singer was singing. And so you're kind of like already discombobulated and then you're trying to kind of catch up with yourself to find where, where the song is. Right. So you're kind of always playing this like chase thing. Right. So I just, I just find that, that, that quickly, you know, just pinpoint where that starts and then what does it go up or down? And that just helps so much. And then you can kind of, keep expanding on that does it does it go up and then down right away or does it just stay on that note right for a long time mm-hmm. you know yeah and and then start listening to those those like bluesy notes like where's your third and then where's your flat third what's that sound like that flat third sliding into the third or that root note to the flatted seventh that blues note like where are those notes at and where are they on the mandolin and how do they relate to the chord you're playing yeah and and those things are like such heavy tools for adding color, you know, especially to bluegrass or country or old time music. If we're looking at that stuff, oh, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and you kind of just keep expanding. It. Like so what's the next colors that are in there? Where's the sixth, you know, that kind of stuff. So what is one of the things that you find um, a, a, the big difference between like an old time jam and a bluegrass jam? Okay. One of the main differences right away is that in a bluegrass jam everyone's going to be getting a spot for a solo right mm-hmm. not maybe not everyone but you know some of those big jams it, it goes around the song goes around forever and ever right right to get everyone to get a solo and in an old time jam there's no one taking solos everyone is playing the fiddle tune melody together and primarily led by a fiddle player that's just kind of um not only is it really fun but the fiddle has kind of been the centric, the fiddle centric instrument for, I don't know, that's, that's not the right word, but the, the, the king of the old time music world, you know, there's definitely sweet old time tunes that are played on the banjo alone or, or played on the guitar. And a lot of old time tunes can become bluegrass tunes, right. like whiskey before breakfast. Right. So you can take any old time tune and you can put it in a bluegrass jam and everyone takes a solo on it. But what I find in an old time jam is that we get this groove going, this like collective rhythmic groove. that's like a train. It's like, here we go. 
everyone jumps on, you get a, you get a strong rhythmic foundation that doesn't really let up. And, um, the guitar players are playing rhythm and like connecting with the bass player and tightening this thing up and the banjo, whether it's claw hammer or three finger, it doesn't matter is driving over that rhythm, mm-hmm. these rolls or this bump to bump to bump or a three finger roll. And you've got a fiddle player who's leading the tune that gives you the groove and gives you the tempo and gives you the key. And the mandolin player is probably playing chords like a guitar player fitting into the groove and the rhythm or the mandolin player is playing note for note with the man with the fiddle player or or maybe adding a tiny bit of harmony but to me the 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 wonderful thing and i'm not going to say it's the bright thing but one of the wonderful things about it is like taking that tune and just lifting it up and supporting it with all those pieces i just described and like the tune just becomes the whole thing it's not the fiddle player it's not the mandolin player that becomes the whole thing it's the tune and you all together as a collective are like holding it up and like putting this big pillow of like groove underneath it. And it just, it just kind of floors you and you jump on and you get in and you go, you know, and it becomes really powerful. What I find in a bluegrass jam that's really fun is everyone gets to practice licks and, and try different things. And everyone gets their moment to sort of let their instrument ring and stuff. The only thing I don't like about those is that sometimes like, for example, you get to a guitar player and they're typically really, really quiet and everyone kind of quiets way down so you can hear the guitar player who's across the circle. Right. And the jam kind of loses its groove and fall and then it kind of picks back up for a strong fiddle player and then it goes down for a beginner mandolin player and it's they're real quiet and they might have lost the tune and don't even know how it goes and you're back to a banjo player. And and those jams can be um, can be less inspiring what I find is that if you're if you're a beginner player, like it's really cool to jump into the old time tune and practice, pretend like you're playing a solo the entire time, but play the tune, but play the tune, learn the tune, learn the melody, hear the melody, and and play what the melody is and add to the to the lifting of the melody, and that just strengthens your chops for like how how like tunes go and how to play your instrument. Like, you know, there's a there's a way the mandolin can be played really efficiently. Oh, like the sure. way, like the way a fiddle player plays the violin. It's there's like a way to play it that's that makes total sense. It's, it's like a really well designed instrument. Yeah. The mandolin's like you know it's the cousin of it, so you play it kind of like a fiddle or like a violin, and and it it kind of becomes easier, I think, in a way mechanically. And then these tunes just kind of fall out, fall in to these chord shapes, and it's like, oh yeah, it's all right there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And, and that that I think you can take back to your bluegrass jam or your or your country song and like and like add add some really strong melody playing to those things. And you and what I find too is when you're learning that tune, like there's there's like certain um finger patterns that like the melodies fall into mm-hmm. that that become cons- like they happen again and again and again. Tunes are like kind of similar, right? Like the joke is like, how do you tell an old time tune apart? Well, they have names, you know, <laughs> otherwise they're all the same, right? You know? <laughs> right. But, but the cool thing about that is you might play in the key of G for an hour. And so you're really getting your head around G and G tunes and how G falls in the mandolin. And then if you switch to A and a fiddle cross tunes to A and the banjo tunes to A, you're playing an A for a while and you're like, oh, A is a little bit different the way it falls. Here's where the seventh is. Here's where the third is. And like, it becomes this whole new, like, um, thing you know for how how your hand is playing in a certain key Mm -hmm. and that's like really informative stuff i think that that taught me so much about how to play the actual instrument 
out of an old time context. Right. It's right. Like, oh, if you're going to be playing an A, this is so, this is so the way it works. I don't need to be searching all over the place for my notes for A. They're just like right in this zone. And and uh, yeah, so so that's just a good way to like get good at and 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 the ear training part of it. Like I said, because the melodies played over and over again for ten minutes straight, you really focus in on the melody and really work on honing in on what the melody is all the way. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of neat. I don't think either one's right or wrong. Sure. I just think that that's a really fun thing about an old time jam. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And all levels. I mean, you can be, you know, super advanced player and garnish, you know, just really get the same thing out of that as is going and just whipping off your chops at a bluegrass jam as well. And I love both, yeah. you know, don't get me yep. wrong. Yep. <laughs> I yep. love going yeah, me both, too. So, yep. You know, yep. A good bluegrass jam is so much fun when, when it, when it really gets, you know, amped up. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, and yeah. I also, you know, I also just as much love sitting right there really close to a bluegrass jam and listening and like learning and like watching someone play and like, Oh wow. Okay. Well, that's cool. You know, sitting and listening sometimes is so important. (laughs) I can't tell you how many jams I went to when I first started learning to play and didn't play a lick and just sat and like, just tried to figure it all out. Like what is going on here? (laughs) What are they doing? You know, just how, how, how much information I was taking in and trying to, trying to gather about, about how it all worked, you know? Did you have some um, old time recordings aside from that one that that you had gotten that you that you yeah. could listen to that you really? Yeah, early on, a banjo player friend of mine, uh, Taylor Grover, he ended up being a banjo player in Pig Iron and also in Foghorn String Band when we first started. He um, he was constantly giving me great great CDs and great burns of of vinyl that he had or burns or copies of cassette tapes that he had people like um, Tommy Gerald or the camp Creek boys. Ernest East or Fred Cockrum playing or Benton flipping and a lot of that kind of round peak style, North Carolina, Virginia area fiddle music. Um, the Pine Ridge boys or the round peak band had some great fiddlers in that area. So I was listening to all that stuff. And then, and that stuff is really fun to play on the fiddle, a little more challenging on the mandolin because of some of the syncopation in the bowing. And the, and the and that stuff is more challenging on the mandolin. Then you get into like so the Kentucky tunes, like Clyde Davenport or or um, John Salyer. That stuff is is more um, straight, straight sixteenths, I guess it is, mm-hmm. or and and straighter picking. And these tunes are really maybe even a little more noty, 
but some ways are in some ways are a little bit easier to play because they the picking part is a little bit more straightforward i find and so i was getting really into learning those tunes and in like the round peak stuff i was getting really into like getting into the groove and playing the groove and the, and the chords and you can probably hear in my playing my playing's different than like a bluegrass mandolin player as far as rhythm goes Mm -hmm. and i play a different chord shape most of the time than your bluegrass chop shape and i groove a little more the way a claw hammer banjo would would play boom tick boom tick boom tick boom tick boom tick boom tick boom that boom titty boom titty um sound that's a claw hammer banjo and that you know fiddle a fiddle kicks off a tune they go dang yeah yep yeah sort of like found you know using that as a foundation for my, a lot of my rhythmic playing. What, what chord shapes would you use uh, that are a little bit different than a bluegrass player, like for, for G or for A, as opposed to like well, a chop chord, I'm guessing? Yeah, well, for a G chord, I might play that same chop chord, but like leave off the low G string, my pinky finger, mm-hmm. leave out off the D note, and just play the open G. And then I'll, so it'll be like a three-finger chord, and, and then I'll, I'll sort of like either play all four strings, you know, all eight strings, all four, four, or I'll maybe choose and play just the top three or the low three. Maybe I'll fret that low string on the fourth fret and get that B note there, you know? And so I kind of, so it's not an open string. Sometimes open strings are kind of squirrely and hard to control their, <laughs> their, like their duration or whatever. So I'll use a fretted note there and, and just use like a lower voicing or a higher voicing for G um, I do a lot of double stop playing that mm-hmm. in conjunction with a guitar and bass and banjo, you know, it, it sort of like fits into a little pocket. So, so I, and I'll divide my chords into little double stops and not play them with the way I'll play double stops when I'm taking a solo. It's a different thing. It's more of a rhythmic kind of thing where I'll, you know, really kind of fluidly switch from double stops to triple stops to all four strings um, I don't know. Is there such thing as a triple stop? I never really heard that before. You know what? I, I, I think I think I've seen that somewhere in like reading through a okay. book somewhere. But I know okay. you, yeah, I do know what you mean though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of my G zone. G and C might be like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, um, again, two and three three note chords, and then in A, I typically go up to like a bar chord shape where I bar my second fret on my low strings. Yeah, and I'll play a third and a root up on the you know what is it the fourth and fifth strings or fourth and fifth frets on my high strings yep yep so the c sharp and the a yeah exactly play that bar chord shape and i'll and i'll just switch over to a d shape just like that switch my fingers over to to a d a d chord but keeping that low a note barred on the second fret so you kind of have this like more full voicing for sure right it's a low a real low a note up to a real high a note and you and uh, it's almost like a guitar. I was a guitar player for a long time, so I, I don't, I'm not afraid to kind of like borrow that stuff and and keep that bounce going. And I don't know. So I just kind of, I'm just always trying to figure out how it fits and just really paying attention to the tune and what the song or the tune feels like it needs. I don't have any rules per se. Sure. I just I just want to find where it where it like where it feels right and and and. Sometimes I will use that A bar that A bar chord shape and chop it a little bit more. Sometimes I'll just let it ring and sometimes I'll let it just go ching chicka ching chicka ching chicka ching. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's ching 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 ching, you know. Yeah. And you kind of give it a little muty sound. I do use a chop chord shape too every now and then for some stuff. Just mm-hmm. just kind of makes 
it just kind of fits somehow. <laughs> sure, so, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. That's well, I mean, I think that's what makes your stuff so so unique and 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 popular with people is the fact that you are always it's not the same thing all the time besides the fact that you have three different projects or four different projects always going too. <laughs> right, but right. even you know even though even those albums have they've got uh they never lose the liveliness or the openness and there's always something catching my ear when i listen to it and that's what i love about your playing and i think a lot huh. of people do again hence yeah. the emails <laughs> right well. so how did how did uh foghorn uh, start off where I know you're jamming with those guys that kind of morphed into, but how did it become like, Hey, look, we should, we should travel and record and we got something here. Yeah. Um, well, again, it goes back to that Weezer. We were, um, a bunch of friends and a whole group of folks were making the pilgrimage to Weezer every year out in Idaho. And we were, you know, we just set up a little camp there, car camping basically in this field with a bunch of other folks and you got your, food set up and you got your tent set up and you're picking tunes and we just had one session one day that that really just kind of clicked it was a real small little session small in in, in people size and something just kind of clicked really kind of special i thought a groove that was like a little more clear and strong and um it wasn't it was it was four of the original foghorn members that were doing that and i i just kind of said man we should this is really fun we should do this when we get back to portland more you know yeah with this combination hadn't sat down and hung out like that so i just made that comment and someone else was kind of like yeah and then when we got back to portland someone was like hey should we should we hang out and play and you know so we we did and uh kind of kind of got cool right away and and at the same time so that 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 was Sammy Lind on fiddle, Brian Bagdonis on bass, and Taylor Grover on banjo. I was playing guitar, and then Taylor would sometimes play guitar, and I'd grab the mandolin. So we just kind of were switching off with these like combinations of no banjo or no mandolin. And eventually, we we reined in a guitar player, and um, Taylor could stay on banjo, and I could stay on mandolin. And we did that for a little while just at home. And then a friend of ours who was doing a little bit of booking around town, you know, I'd been playing around town for a long, long time with a couple of different groups. And so we had some connections with gigs and little things here. A friend of ours got us this weekly gig at a place in town. So we started playing this weekly gig and that, that kind of got us into getting a little repertoire together. And uh, that went on for a while. And then, you know, the, the guitar player who was sitting in with us for that, was in another band and couldn't quite make everything and couldn't, couldn't always make a gig. And if we started to get a gig that was like on a weekend, maybe even in a nearby town, he was already having a gig with his other band. So that kind of proposed a a little issue right away. We were like, this is kind of fun. We want to get some more gigs. So we reined in Kevin Sandry, who was kind of our first like recorded guitar player with Foghorn and once once he came to town and moved to town, the band kind of got a little more solidified. It kind of got a little more intentional. We're like, oh, this five might actually click. Yeah, it actually was really clicking. It wasn't. It might actually click. It was like, oh, this is really clicking. Kevin just jumped right into our train, jumped right on, and like added a little more fuel to the whole thing. And so then we started um, at my house. <laughs> the same guy, Bruce, who who uh, Bruce Harvey, who was 
selling tone woods and kind of inadvertently got that mandolin into my hands. Mm-hmm. He also loves old vintage mics. And I was visiting him and he's like, man, I got these cool old tube mics. He's check them out. And I, I was like, those are super cool. And I bought them from him and I brought them home. And there's these two mics that are like little lipstick tube mics, you know, like a little small, you know, small mic. And I just was messing around with them. And I had this cool Marantz tape deck and I could plug the two mics into it. And so when we started having rehearsals at my house once a week, I started recording things. I was just curious, you know? Yeah. So I'd, re- I'd record stuff and I'd kind of make the band set up a little bit so that I could record us better. And every time I'd listen to it, I'd be like, Oh, well, that can't hear the banjo too well. So the next week we'd rehearse and I'd shift the banjo player a tiny bit. And I started recording these things and we started getting more intentional and it just kind of, we'd, we'd re- play for an hour and record it. And then we'd go outside and, you know, Kevin, our guitar player is a really great cook. So he was making dinner and he and I were living at the same house. And so we'd all eat some food and drink a beer and listen to the first hour of, of rehearsal or our rehearsals were just jamming really, but they were kind of rehearsals. And we were like, man, this is, that's, that's sounding really cool. And we started, I think we all just started digging into it more um, as far as intention goes. And those rehearsals then got coupled with once a week, we had a session on Sundays it was kind of became this legendary foghorn session that we play for like six hours straight. Oh, wow. Yeah. At this pub. And then also myself and Sammy who were the least employed at the time or the most flexible employed wise would, (laughs) would get together twice a week from 10 to noon every day, you know, twice a week and just like hack out tunes on the mandolin and the fiddle, like just dial in our tunes playing head to head. And he'd show me, he'd be learning a new tune and just show it to me and I'd learn it note for note and we'd take that back to rehearsal and the band would just jump in and like we'd be taking this tune you know as as if we were two fiddlers but i was playing mandolin you know right right and, and the band would just like lift it up and so that that was kind of how our sound taylor started playing three finger banjo instead of claw hammer banjo um we got inspired by a fiddle fiddler named john ashby his recordings had a three finger banjo player so yeah that stuff you know that stuff started sounded pretty cool and eventually i took one of these tapes to a buddy i knew who was who was kind of a, a recording guy and an, another old-time musician who i admired and i played him a tape and i was like man these sound pretty cool don't they i'm recording this i told him how i was recording it. i was like don't they sound pretty cool I, was, I feel like we should make an album like of this stuff it's pretty neat i kind of liked the funkiness of the tape deck and the tube recording yeah. you know and he was like are you guys free next Sunday or whatever? And we were like, huh? He's like, you want to come record at a really nice studio? He had like just done this whole remodel of a, like of the board of a really nice studio. Oh, He's wow. an electronics guy. Yeah. And the, and the guy gave him like the key of the studio cause he couldn't pay him fully. So he basically had the key to the studio and like, <laughs> he just loved, he loved what we were doing and he liked all of us as people. And he just took us out to the studio for free. And we recorded Battlesnake Tidal Wave in like two days. first album right, <laughs> we just sat down behind one mic and he did the same thing he kind of pushed the bass back or pulled the banjo in or moved the guitar over and he just said go and we recorded i don't know 20 tunes or whatever 
in two days yeah. and just played them. Yeah, and then we had an album. Great. <laughs> you wow, know, man. we were like, yeah. we were all like, whoa, all right, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You know, and that was a much, much better recording than what I was making with a, with a, a Marantz tape deck. But, yeah, but still, it seems like uh, um, those Marantz tapes are uh, hugely influential in shaping that and all that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You can you can hear our rehearsals. Um, you can hear the rehearsal where Taylor tries ban- a claw hammer banjo for the last time, and where he picks up the three finger resonator banjo for the first time. It's like on the tape. <laughs> and oh, you're that's like, so oh, cool. There's the first tune he ever tried with the three finger banjo. Wow, man. That's yeah, awesome. on the picks and the resonator, and then then like all the rest of the tapes <laughs> have, have three finger banjo. <laughs> wow! And then we started that... having this jo- we started having this joke in Foghorn that we were having this like you know this arms race because my mandolin was kind of loud, you know, and I think that maybe might have been part of the reason why Taylor went for like a louder banjo sound, and our <laughs> guitar player was pretty heavy heavy handed on the guitar, just playing rhythm. You know, Kevin's pretty he's pretty heavy handed there. You can hear it just playing, and Brian's no slouch on the bass, and Sammy was just cranking around the fiddle and. We had this like wall of sound, if you will, kind of <laughs> happening. You know, it's like yeah. pretty. It's pretty, you know, captivating and enveloping, even for someone as a player just in it. You're just like, what is happening right now? You can tell you're just in this thing. You know, yeah. You know, all of its parts together made this thing happen. It's just such a cool experience to be a part of. That's great. And then, um, where do you do? Do you produce the recordings, like the the later recordings? of the band yourself because again the sound quality what i love about the recordings and and your songs um the the, the 2018 album rock island grange yeah yeah god it's just so what a great listen like it's just it's it's like a live band is in the other room That's cool to hear you say. Thank you. Absolutely. That's, 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 that's flattering because when I listen to the Carter family, for example, mm-hmm. they're so raw and so live, you know, so recorded, so raw. And so like, there it is. When you hear them sometimes, I'm like, they, I feel like they're in my living room. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, you know? Awesome. So that's flattering. Yeah. Well, that's one. Yeah. That's how it feels. That's great. And that's what I love about it. You know, it's just like. Yeah. yeah. Oddly enough, back to Bruce Harvey, that album was recorded by Bruce Harvey um, on Orcas Island where I grew up. And we, we sometimes refer to Orcas Island as the rock. So there's Rock Island Grange at the Grange on the island. And that's kind of where that title comes from. Oh, but, cool. Um, he recorded that in a cool old theater on the island um, that, that you know, has had music in it for, for years and has some kind of cool juju, if you will, yeah. and a kind of cool acoustic qualities to it. And that's why we chose that place. And it has a um, – so we just kind of set up. In a bit, in a in a little bit bigger circle than normal, um, and had more individual miking and then some room miking mm-hmm. for that album, and that was a combination of Bruce's concept and and us. Um, I wouldn't say there's a specific producer other than Bruce, kind of had the idea and sort of set it up. If anything, Bruce might have produced that one, but we didn't really, you know, in the Foghorn, in the Foghorn way, we don't really produce. We just sort of like have songs and repertoire and we play them. Mm-hmm we don't really mess with them much. It's like, 
we sort of all know our our common um, aesthetic and common goal, and we just do that. If you look closely, I haven't written anything for Foghorn that's recorded, uh, that's that's original. So everything is something that we've found or borrowed or oh, learned, wow. right? So, um, and for a long time, um, early on for the band, it was like we only played original music. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, we only played traditional music. It was like traditional fiddle tunes and kind of old songs that were handed down. And then, you know, as that has changed and as the players in the band have changed, because Nadine and Reeb are newer to the band, you know, they just bring in a little bit different repertoire that they have. Nadine is French Canadian. She can sing some Cajun songs because she's got the, the language for it. Um, <clears throat> Reeb just tends to grab gravitate towards some more country songs or a few a few different styles of old time songs. So we just sort of, everyone brings in a, a few pieces and we of course want to play some tunes. And so I don't think there's anything that's original of mine on any of those Foghorn records. No kidding. Wow. And that's sort of been a little bit of an unspoken thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we, like we've played them live. We've played some of my songs in Foghorn, like on, you know, on, at performances. Right. But uh, not for recordings. Oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, yeah, kind of early on in the band, Taylor, our banjo player, was really into just like traditional music, and that kind of came a thing. We're like, okay, cool. Foghorn just plays traditional music, sure. And that that sort of has sort of stuck with us somewhat. And I and I was fine with I like that, even though I was a songwriter through all that. I reserved that space for a different project, which was you know bands before Foghorn, and also my country band and that the project during Foghorn and after, not after because Foghorn still happening, but um, sort of why I have another project as far as, and, it, and I was kind of writing and liking that aesthetic of country music and that kind of old school country and kind of slightly acoustic country music as opposed to like rock and roll country or sure. that kind of vibe of country. So those songs I was writing were, were fitting in that, that space. And so I was, started that band which is which is great it's great to have a different thing than foghorn and have a a different color a different sound and for me as a musician it's good to have diversity in that sure. variety in that yeah and it's, it's it's also great i love just the instrumentation of the country band is really really fun oh uh, cool it Thanks. really captures yeah. that old country vibe uh-huh yeah it's been fun to um been fun to to you know play with a steel guitar player and use the mandolin in that context yeah mandolin and sometimes telly and you get these kind of different textures and fiddle so that's yeah great. it's been a lot of fun Let, let's talk a little gear stuff real quick i know we talked you you have this that the, obviously your main acts do you have any other mandolins that you play do you mix it up when you go to the country band or or i do or not band? no not at all right i on. um i play i play one mandolin and i have for 20 years it's 20 years old it's actually just this year it'll be 21 years old. Oh, right on! I can I, drink. I've, I've, I've played it. Yeah, it was built in '99, so um, so I'll I just play that thing. I just I don't know. I just we just connect and I love it. And That's it's, great. It's been we've been through a lot together. <laughs> I, just, I just like I didn't really ever think I'd be like that with an instrument, um, but boy, I you know, it's yeah. As long as it's working for me and working good. It's what I play. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've got a funky old K that's a really cool and I bought it cause it was kind of a cool, a little bit different sounding. I, sometimes I wish I had an oval hole 
which they're braced a little differently mm-hmm. and they've got that X bracing. I guess there are some F styles that are F braced, X braced, but um, sometimes I kind of wish I had something like that. That might be like a little bit softer, but then again, you know, like the Sullivan, the, the one I play, like, you know, if when I'm, it really has a lot of diversity in tone and sound. I, I tend to lean one way more predominantly on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like an edgy kind of sharp in your face tone, but, Sometimes when I'm singing a real sweet, quiet song or playing a quiet song with Reeb, that thing can can be subtle as well, which I find really challenging and fun to explore on the mandolin and not not allow it to like control me and just be this loud bluegrass mandolin. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but how can I how can I get it to behave this way and how can I play it like this? Yeah. How can I get it to be more sweet and and like bring that out of it. So that's still a journey for me, you know, still learning how to play the thing sure. better and, and more, more diversely, um, constantly. So, so, uh, you know, it works, it's working for me. So I'm just going to keep working, working with it. <laughs> what about, uh, strings and picks, the nerdy stuff? Uh, yeah, strings. I, I use strings from, uh, that's this company straight up strings. Yeah, yeah. They're a little bit newer and, um, I was just stumbled across them and really like the way they the tension is on them mm-hmm. they're a little bit heavier gauge and the way i can get the action a little bit lower because they're tight so you have this lower action but this kind of like um for me it's a little more even across all four strings sure and um i've i've thought about going back i used to use the adarios the the heavier gauge the green ones um the ones that Ronnie McCurry picks. Yeah. <laughs> so it says on the package. <laughs> yeah, J75s. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, exactly. Well, I, used to, I used to use those and um, switch to the set of the straight up strings. And I really like them. I, I keep thinking I should go back and just kind of check in with the J75s again and see what I think about those mm-hmm. um, just to kind of check myself. But I haven't yet. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um Again, it's working. I'm kind of a creature of habit that way. Yeah. Um, and then I use a, a Wigan pick, those triangle-shaped Wigan picks. I think it's a 1.25. It's not a really super, super heavy one. Mm-hmm. I like, a, as you can hear in my playing, I like a little bit of a, a little bit of a brighter, clear tone, a little more pointed tone than some of the players who want a really more rounded, kind of like soft tone. Mm-hmm. I like to get all the, the full range of the tonality, like the low to the high. And so I... I choose a little bit of a little bit of a thinner pick. I used to when I first was starting to play, I played with like a guitar pick, like a those yellow Dunlop Tortex or even a oh, green yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, the you turtles. Know, little, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the turtles. Yeah, yeah, I was using those for a while. And you know, the other funny thing too, I'll do is I, if my strings are getting old, I'll use a thinner pick that's a little bit brighter. And if my strings are brand new, I use a little bit darker pick, oh, wow. heavier pick that's just darker sounding. Yeah, because I don't like that brand new string sound. Yeah, I hear you so there. much. And uh, when they start to get worn in, start to lose a little bit of the high end. Sometimes I like that sound a little better, but sometimes it gets too much that way. And so I'll brighten it up with a brighter pick, um, which is usually a thinner pick. Do you always do you always use a mic when you play live? Do you say a mic? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, or do you plug in? No, I never plug in. I don't okay. have a pickup. Gotcha. When I when I uh, when I stopped playing with a band that was like a big rock band. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started playing mandolin, I was playing in a band that. I played acoustic guitar in and I had to plug in, I had a little amp. And of course, when I started playing mandolin, I needed to get a pickup and an amp. And God, I couldn't stand the sound of either my acoustic guitar or my mandolin through a pickup. It just like, to me, it was like, it was like 
the worst thing ever. You <laughs> right, know? right. It was, it was, it just sounded so bad. I loved the acoustic sound of it. Yeah. That's why I love the instrument. That's why I love the acoustic guitar is that sound that it makes. And you'd plug it in, you'd lose so much of it right away. And so I, when I, when I got out of that band, I literally ripped off my pickup. I ripped, I was like, that will never come back on this instrument ever again. <laughs> and it hasn't. So I use a mic or, um, or I play acoustic if I can totally acoustic in some in some instances that's awesome so, i mean it's the best yeah. sound uh, you can't yeah and, you know every now and then in a big big setting you lose a little bit you sacrifice a little bit but um the freedom and the and the and the potential for the for the good tone is is there you know ultimately so well, i've got yeah. two more questions for you here and these are okay um the, the, this first one is the most popular question that i ask i think from all the emails i get and um but the question I always ask is if you had 10 minutes a day to pick up your mandolin, what would you work on for the next week to improve on something? If you only had the luxury of 10 minutes, uh, I'd work on my right hand pick technique. I'd work on sort of the fluidity across. Um, I probably would use tremolo to do it. Or, or single note playing, but working on more fluidity and consistency of tone and volume across all the strings. So that's something I've noticed of myself lately is when I get into playing like in context, I kind of get a little bit wild <laughs> in, in control of my right hand, yeah. you know? And and so just working on that fluidity of control and and, and trying different volumes and and intensities of the right hand attack on the strings so like really um going through the range of like hard heavy playing to really gentle light playing and across all the strings and crossing strings and keeping that really fluid and smooth um intentionally that if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. yeah i wish yeah. Uh, i'd love to invent a, a pick that would break at a certain volume level <laughs> That would remind me that I'm playing like an idiot at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, totally. Yes, please do that. I know. It's just like, it's just like everything was right. going so great. And the next thing I know, I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, right, right. So Why, why am I playing that loud? Yeah, yeah. It just get, you get carried away, I guess. But yeah. yeah it's a, That's something I've been really kind of like thinking about a lot in my own playing. It's mm -hmm. like that stuff has is, is been kind of bugging me. Yeah, it's when reassuring I, to I, hear somebody like you say that, though. I think, you know, that's what makes this podcast so popular is all these great players like yourself are all striving for something. It's a never-ending battle. You know what I mean? You're out there doing it all the time, all these different bands, and you're still working on reigning in your right hand. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have so many bad habits, all of us probably, that we, you know, especially someone like me who's self-taught for the most part, I didn't get. I didn't get put on the right track in the first place, probably. And so you're undoing things that, that are, you know, you don't even know you're doing. And then you're like, Oh wait, one day you're like, Oh, wow, that's actually me. That's my fault. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. can fix that. <laughs> you know? Right. So then you have to be intentional about it and fix it. You know? Right. And then try to not cross paths of practice and live. Cause that'll really mess you up. And you're sitting there yeah. thinking about, I got to play softer. Right. I'll playing softer. And then you're just right. like out of your own, you're out of the zone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. The final question is, do you have a particular beer that you are currently enjoying when you're playing or when you're traveling? 
Yeah, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Dennis is like my favorite session beer because it's not that heavy of a beer alcohol-wise. It's kind of a light beer, but it's just got so much flavor and like, I don't know, it's it's less, kind of less carbonated, I think, because of the way it's nitro or something. I don't know. It's like the way like a like a Rainier or a Coors is kind of really bubbly. Guinness isn't, so I feel like I can like. <laughs> I don't. This is sound funny, but I don't burp as much, and I can actually sing, <laughs> yeah. sing better if I'm if I'm be in a jam where I'm actually singing. So. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just than the smooth good. The mic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Guinness. For right sure. on, man. Hands down. That's great. <laughs> well, man, a, oh, you know, and, and one more quick question, I guess, if you were to pick up your mandolin right now to play a tune, is there one that you uh that you it just falls under your fingers when you pick the mandolin up. I always call it the music store song. You know, if I go yeah, to the music or the, store. Or the, the, the screensaver. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what I call it, the screensaver. Like, you pick it up and you're just automatically playing. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> I've been picking it up lately and playing a tune I'm working on, um, a tune I'm writing. It's in the key of C. So it doesn't have a name yet, but I'm always like noodling this one little thing that is becoming a tune. Cool. So, so that that's the first thing I go to, and then I've been playing this tune called Magpie, which which has a funny little run in it that that again with that right hand is is a little sloppy. Mm-hmm. So I keep working on that tune and keep, keep trying to go back into that um, and clean up that little section. That's great, man. Yeah. So those are those are the ones I just like pick up and play right away. Yeah. G, they're a G's tune and a C tune. Yeah, so. that's perfect. Oh, yeah. awesome, man. Well, dude, Caleb, I, man, I really appreciate it. Again, you said you just got in last night. You're heading out again this, this, the, today to tour. So thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's been a great talk. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for, for including me and uh, giving me a call. Great chat with you. I've, I've enjoyed laughing and telling stories. <laughs> That's <laughs> great, man. Thanks so much. All right, and thanks so much to Caleb for doing the podcast. Next week's guest, Lauren Price from the Price Sisters. You guys have yourselves a great week. Cheers, everybody. Stop and Terry, ain't got time, ain't got time to stop and Terry, ain't got time to stop and Terry, got a message, I'm a scary, ain't got time to stop and Terry in this world, he said to pray, she said to pray.